I V M. Hello and welcome to the Habit Coach Podcast. I am Ashton Doctor, your Habit Coach, and today I have the pleasure of hosting Kumar Bagrodia, neuroscientist and the founder of NeuroLeap and Arkini Photobiolife. In this episode, Kumar is about to shatter some myths surrounding intense exercise, shed light on the profound effects of meditation on the brain and body, and unravel the triggers behind anxiety. Let's dive into the conversation. That I must add, uh, a lot of clients who come to us, uh, you know, people I would say are pretty much in two buckets. One are people who are very slim and fit. They work out, they do yoga, meditation, or they are runners, marathoners, and they're following all the good stuff. And now they want to improve. So they're saying, hey, can you enhance my brain further? Hmm. Because I've realized every achiever knows that the brain is the final frontier. Yes. It's what's got them where they are. And how do they keep going up or just maintain themselves over a period of time? So that's one bucket of people. The second are who have some real issues or disorders and maybe the lifestyle is also not too good. So they might be having insomnia or, you know, depression, anxiety, addiction Mm. or ADHD, so on and so forth. One of the issues which I find common is people assume that for me to improve or to get better, I have to really be going through a torturous physical routine that, oh, I have to run the 42 kilometer marathon. Only then will I be healthy and will I have longevity or I have to go up and climb Everest or do this Arctic expedition or, you know, go on water only for three days. Do the hard stuff. Yeah, do the hard stuff. Mm. And uh, the words they will throw is, I want to be a beast. Right. I said, but the beast is never happy. The beast is never calm. Right? The beast is not content. That's why you're There's so much agitation, yeah. Right. So I said, why are you putting your body through all of this torturous stuff just so that at the end of it, on a contrast level, you're calmer? Mm. So why lift so much of heavy weight or, you know, go down to such a high heart rate just so that you can be better at the end of it. There's no need. In thousands and thousands of human anatomy's history, we've not had to torture the body so much. Why? I just don't get it. There's no history there. Correct. And the evidence we have is just of a few years. Right. And I would say in a few years again, we will be countering this evidence saying that, oh, why are people dying in their 30s and 40s when everything else is so well taken care of? They're doing a physical every three months. All the blood work is, you know, managed and they're living on the edge and people say, oh, I'm on the human edge. I'm biohacking. What's going on? Then why are you dying? Why do you have all these issues? Mm. Right? What about the 90-year-olds or the 80-year-olds around us, our grandparents, etc.? who don't do any of it and who are living in the same environment right now. In fact, the 60-year-old today, his lungs should be worse off with today's pollution. Correct. Right? Why is that not happening? Because they're doing certain things right, what I discussed earlier, mm. and not torturing themselves. Mm. It's fascinating. When we think about the anthropologist, I remember reading this, an anthropologist went to live with the tribals, right? And he was telling the tribals, so what do you all do for exercise? And they didn't know what he was saying. Yeah. He's like, don't you all go for a run in the morning? And they were looking at him and saying, but what are you hunting? No, no, no. 
oh, something's chasing you. No, 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 nothing's chasing me. But you still go. And they all thought he was completely bananas that he would go for a run every morning. That's what it is, right? We never needed that kind of exercise. And that's what it yeah. turned into. Yeah. But exercise is good. Mm. But within within limits Absolutely. of Not uh, being intensity right. and duration. What does the mind on meditation look like? Fantastic. Mm. So meditation is really good for your brain for several reasons. If you go back to some of the things we discussed, the amount of energy the brain is consuming, the amount of activity the brain is engaging in. So meditation really is at the core a way to reduce the activity in the brain for that short period of time mm. and give it some rest. Give those neurons and billions of connections a little bit of rest. Take it easy, guys. Right? Because even when you're sleeping, the brain is still active. Right. It's dreaming. Your subconscious is throwing up thoughts which either are nightmares or pleasant dreams, etc. So you're not really resting, resting from that perspective. Mm. When you're meditating, even if it's five or ten minutes, you're giving it a lot of rest. Right? And you're allowing your mind to connect with the body. Mm. So let me, you know, make a distinction here. Your mind and brain are separate. Okay. Right? You know, mind is the manifestation of your ideals, values, personality, character, whatever it is. It's right? the software. It's the software. Hmm. And that software is about 1% to 5% of who you are, hmm. right? The 95 to 99% is the subconscious, which is the actual hardware, the brain, hmm. right? So during meditation... Oh, so the subconscious would still be part of the hardware. It wouldn't be a software running the background. No, no, no. I mean, your memory, let's hmm. say. Hmm. Memory is part of your subconscious. Right? Right. You're not consciously remembering every life fact. Right. All of your 40 years of existence, let's hmm. say. You're not remembering it on consciousness. You've got to joggle it. Right? Correct. So that's part of your hardware, hmm. your subconscious. So during meditation, you're actually able to achieve a little bit of attachment as well as detachment. So neuroanatomically, it is very, very good for you. Mm. I would urge everyone to practice some form of meditation. Not everyone is a candidate for eyes closed meditation. Right. So if you are suffering from anxiety or PTSD or depression, and if you're told to sit with your eyes closed, um, you might experience some very, very negative emotions and people have. Mm. And it can be very triggering as well because you will go down that spiral once again. Right. So for those people, maybe you do some eyes open meditation, which is more gazing, concentration based, or you do some chanting or mantras where you're repeating the exact thing again and again, and you get into a little bit of a quasi trance like state after a few minutes. Correct. Right? And you can see that when you're looking at the brain. Of course. Right. Of mm. course. Mm. So that's my view on uh, meditation. Uh, I must add here, um, you know, in our practice, we are not looking at the immediate state of the conscious brain per se, you know, the conscious activity, which you alluded to earlier when you said, you know, somebody's meditating, you can see that in mm. their mm. brain waves or in the graph. Yes, we can, but we are not concerned with that, right? Because trying to change the brain mm. means I want to go directly to the subconscious, right? We agree that all of our habits, our behavior patterns, our attitudes, our likes, dislikes are all part of your subconscious. Mm. And what is the subconscious? It's a bunch of networks, right? You know, unfortunately, today, most people still assume that your brain functions on the basis of locations alone. Mm. So we'll say, oh, 
this part of the brain is responsible for this function. Hmm. This part for function X, for Y, Z. Correct. Nothing could be further from the truth. Okay. The brain functions in networks. So there are certain locations which have a more primary role in that function, but it's not the only role, hmm. right? And every emotion, so let's, say, let's take anxiety, right? There is not a single place which is completely responsible for anxiety. Right. So yes, the amygdala will have a larger role to play, but there are several other areas in the brain which form a network along with the amygdala to trigger anxiety, to be able to conquer anxiety or deal with a stressful situation, deal with a frightening situation. And that network comes into play all the time. Right. So similarly, there are networks, brain function networks for attention, for memory, mm. for long-term memory, short-term memory, decision-making, mm. uh, addiction, mood, depression, so on and so forth. So in our practice, we look at all of these networks. Okay. And uh, one of the ways to look at the network is to actually go to the cerebellum. Hmm. most of the modern practices are actually restricted to the cerebrum. Hmm. Front part. Yeah. Hmm. The neocortex. You'll be surprised. The cerebellum, which, you know, we've always been told is the little brain and it is actually a very small part of the brain. It's hmm. just 10% of the brain's the primitive mass. brain. That is what we normally talk exactly. about. Exactly. Right. Um, it has 80% of your neurons. Is that dense? Yeah. Okay. 80% of your neurons are in your cerebellum. Hmm. Unfortunately, till maybe a decade ago, we always just called it the primitive brain. It's more associated with movement, etc. But in the last decade or so, there is amazing research, which is quite the opposite, where this primitive brain, and if you think of it, what are we bothered about? It's these primitive instincts. Correct. Anxiety. That keep coming up. That mm. keep coming up. The fear. Up. The fear. Right. The anger. Mm. Right? Or the validation. And all of those kinds of things. All come of that up. stuff. Mm. Right? It's it's not the math which is bothering us. Can I remember a phone number? It's not, it's yeah, not that. Right? It's, you know, you're fearful. Right? Or um, diet control. Mm. Right? That's bothering Correct. most of us yep. in some way. Which part of the brain do you think is most important in diet control? Hmm. Cerebellum. Cerebellum. Ah. Which part is most important for breath work? Cerebellum. Attention. Cerebellum. But again, like I said, it's not just the cerebellum. It's a network. It's a it. network. Hmm. But we need to be able to go deep dive and get data from the cerebellum. And that's what we do hmm. in our practice. We are able to map the entire brain with sensors and go right down to the cerebellum. Amazing. Kumar, where can people find you, uh, interact with you, have these discussions, or take this, uh, what they've learned from this podcast forward? So, as you said in the beginning, we, I run two organizations. One is NeuroLeap. So, my website's uh, neuroleap.science. And the second one for Arcani is arcaniphotobio.life. Please give us a shout. Happy to help you understand your brain better or help you you know, power up your body with more uh, cellular energy. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Pleasure. Thanks a lot. Pleasure. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I want you to do two things. Share it with three people. One, and make sure that you're subscribed. We also have a YouTube channel called The Habit Coach Awesome 180. You can check out snippets there. You can also follow IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And if you want to follow me, I am at Ashton Doc on Twitter, Instagram, and everywhere else. You can also explore my books, One Habit a Day, The Book of Good Habits for Kids, and Change Your Habits, Change Your Life. Or if you prefer online courses, they're all available on my website. I am Ashton Doctor, your habit coach.